If you've got your Bibles, you can open with me to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, I'm, I'm going to talk about my favorite person in Scripture, I think. You know, I've got a new favorite person every week. But this favorite person happens to be David. I love David because I, I, I love the fact that, that David made a lot of mistakes. I like that about David. Somebody say amen. I like that about David, too. The thing that you love, have to love about David, though, he was quick to see them when God pointed them out, and then he was quick to understand that he needed to come up underneath what God's vision was for his life. I mean, he did that like rapid. One of the things I tell the staff all the time, I say, listen, guys, our job is to, is to respond. We're not going to have perfection but the faster we can learn how to respond to God, the, the less damage that we're going to create wherever we go. So uh, as people, as, as believers, that's going to be the case. And so as I um, get into a series, I think I'm going to do a series a, a, a couple weeks, and I'm going to talk about serving a generous God and how, how, how God poured out his life on David, his spirit on David. He anointed David for task, even though David wasn't perfect. And the same is true for you, the same is true for me, and the same is true for Eastside Church. How many of you know there's no perfect church? <laughs> there's, no, there's no perfect church. And, and so God's got grace on Eastside Church. You know, but, but there's some things that, that we, we feel very strongly about as we, as we stretch out our tents, as we expect God, as we do this building expansion this year, which is going to be unique, we need unity. You know, we need people on board, and you're going to see how God did that with David and Solomon here in just a moment, but we, but we just need to be going, and this year's going to have some, some challenges of its own. There's no doubt that it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. How many of you like the parking lot? You know, you actually have somewhere to park that's not grassy and muddy, and uh, uh, it's, not even, it's not close to being finished, but... but um, but it, it, you know, it just it's, it's progress, and we're going to continue to see that all year. It's going to be soon that we're going to move our kids' ministries out into the modulars. That's going to happen over the next few weeks, and so uh, that's going to be uh, they're going to get so much more room, and it's going to be so much nicer. It's it, you're going to love it. So anyway. When, when we're thinking about spreading out our tents, I'm just reminded and wanted to go over with all of us, you know, our core values here and, and what that means. What, you know, we, we've got some core values that we want to stick to. We want to make sure that we do as we st stretch out our tent, as we uh, create the potential to grow. We're going to move from 180 seats to 507 seats uh, uh, in, in this, in this place. And it's going to maintain intimacy because it's going to kind of stretch out this way instead of that way. So it'll still kind of have a very intimate feel. We're going to raise the stage, uh, on this side. It's going to go back over here. We're going to get rid of the balcony areas, that, that kind of thing. So there's, it's going to be incredible intimacy. And as we expand and as we've got this, this idea that, 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 we're in a unique place. This is a unique place. You guys are unique people. And um, I, I just don't think you see this everywhere. I mean, there's not many places that would say, hey, the worship's not going to bring us in. We're going to stop that, and we're going to, I mean, the music's not going to, we're going to stop that, and we're just going to enter in in prayer. I mean, and, and I'm going to call on somebody that's not prepared to pray, <laughs> or has, he was prepared, but he hadn't prepared anything to 
pray. He just, he just had already been with the Lord. And we prayed what the Lord had already laid on his heart because he knew what he was going to do this morning. I mean, that is a unique environment as a church. That's, that's unique. And as we grow, that, that's what we want to teach people. We really want to teach people how to worship God, uh, express their worship outwardly, and express their communication with God outwardly. That's our, that's, our, that's our deal. But we have to do that, we have five core values, four core values, excuse me. And let me go over them. First of all, it's authentic community. We want to have authentic community. Too many people come to church and they try to act like they're something they're not or that they got their life all together. And the thing that's great about this place, I think, is we all know that we don't all have our life together. And it's okay. You know, we're trying to help each other get better, and that's, that's what it's about. So we want to maintain an authentic community. We're not going to fear man. We're not going to wear masks. We're not going to put on false pretenses. We're going to go after God. We're going to hard charge God because we know that we need him desperately. And we want to do that authentically, don't you? Uh, we're going to constantly, with that authenticity, be continually transformed in front of each other. We want to be able to hear each other's testimony of how we grew in God. We want that to constantly be before us as we uh, maintain authenticity in front of each other. So the first one is authentic community. The second one, uh, core value, is biblical alignment and everything. We believe not only is the, God, God, the Bible the inspired word of God, it is the wisdom of God. It is everything that we need for life and godliness, the Word of God. And we're not going to twist it. We're not going to apologize for it. We're not going to say it's outdated. It's ridiculous to say it's outdated. Matter of fact, if you know the Word of God, what you find is, is, it, is it is incredibly unoutdated. It is so specific to what we're going through currently. And, and because of that, and because of that, I felt this a little bit early, so I'm just going to stop right here, and we're going to do it. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to ask you right now, God, that I pray for the world governments that are established right now. I pray for the United States of America, especially, God, as we lead. I, I pray, God, I pray that the manipulative, divisive spirit that's in our nation would be would be uh, that the light would come to that darkness it would be revealed gone and God that it would be healed in the name of Jesus Father I pray for the church of Jesus Christ all over the world and in this nation and I ask you God that we would be a lot more about you and a lot less about the show help us God to understand that that the body of Christ has to be dependent upon your presence. Father, I pray that you'd heal both because you're the God who is always working. You're the miracle-working God. I thank you for that. I thank you, God, for a church that doesn't make excuses for your word, for a church that doesn't manipulate it or, or downgrade it to just good ideas sometimes heal the church up boy in jesus name everybody said amen, amen.
So number one is authentic community. Number two is biblical alignment and everything. Number three is to grow big people over big church. Now what that means is we're going to, you know, if you're saying that, you're saying that, Pastor, and you're going to go from 180 seats to 507. Absolutely. Because we want to make room to grow more big people. It's not, it's not like that we're trying to just get big. We want to grow big people. We want to create an environment where we teach people how to pray, more people how to pray, more people how to worship. And so we want to make sure that we uh, mature believers. Discipleship is about growing mature believers. Say that with me. Discipleship is about growing mature believers. So we want to teach people how to express themselves outwardly in worship and in prayer. Number four is we want, to, uh, we want to value family over function. God's family matters. And it matters how we treat each other. It matters how we talk about each other. And it matters a lot more about those things than it does about the systematic approaches that we install. Family over function. We value how we treat each other. And in our expansion, in our growth, in our spreading out our tents, we're never going to lose sight of those values, those core values. And so as we understand those things and as we begin to, to move into what we see, there's a, there's a, the story of David is, is, is such a beautiful story because he's got, he's got his son Solomon. And David, of course, is the anointed of God. David is the one that, that God gets uh, the, the, the priest or the prophet to go out and, and anoint with oil. And David runs from Saul for, for uh, 10 plus years, uh, waiting to actually become king. He is anointed king, but he actually doesn't take the throne until many years later. And you see this this. God dealing with David uh, from a shepherd boy to a person in transition that's always on the run to a person that's actually king that, that has all kinds of, of, of uh, challenges even as king, even as the anointed king. But there comes a place in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and it's just a beautiful picture. David's sitting there, man, and he's, he's thinking about his testimony. He's kind of reminiscent. You know, I love to do that. My wife kind of, I don't know if she... She thinks I'm crazy, but I, I'll go by all the houses we lived in and, and, then, and just collect memories. I did it yesterday. I went by, I went by the, a couple of places that we lived in Oakborough and then out in Stan, Stanfield and just remember, I'm remembering my son, you know, he was, in, he was in ninth grade and this is what we did and da 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 da, da. Y'all do any of that or that's just me? Y'all do that kind of thing? Well, that's what David's doing. He's reminiscing. He's going, Lord, you, you found me in this field. I was just a shepherd boy. I mean, you know, I was singing to you out there. But, Lord, you, you came and you called me out in the middle of nowhere. And, 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 and I didn't expect it whatsoever. And you brought this, this man of God to me. And he anointed me with oil. He said I was going to be king. And you pulled me in from that field. And, and you established me. And, and, and now, God... You say that if my, if my offspring is that those that come after me, if they'll make sure that they do what you say, then, then you're going to bless the whole world through them. 
I'm actually blown away, God. I'm just, I'm amazed at your goodness. I'm amazed at your power. I'm amazed at your dominion. And here I sit, Lord. I'm, I'm sitting in a cedar house. I mean, I got this nice digs, man. I got me a log cabin. And the presence of the Lord in the ark's in a tent. I got to do something about that. I can't be living in a cedar house when the Lord of the universe is in a tent. And so I'm going to do that. So he goes to the prophet Nathan. He says, Nathan, I got these nice digs, and the Lord's in a tent. I'm going to build him a, I'm going to build him a house. And Nathan says, well, go do what's on your heart. I love this. Now, y'all really need to hear this. Because I think there's bad theology out there that I'm going to correct again. <laughs> Go do what's on your heart. Nathan goes to bed. The Lord comes to Nathan and says, tell David, that ain't my vision for him. What's, not even, what's on his heart? What's on his heart is not my vision for him. I got that for somebody else. That's somebody else's deal. I've got this for David. You know what David did? Oh, okay. Challenging to the core. You think that's easy. That's in here. That's in here. You think that's easy? That's not easy. The prophet of God said, go do what's on your heart. And God says, that's not, what, that's not me. That's not my plan for you. And so David has to come to this place where he understands his role. What? What's that have to do with us right now? We came here 10 years ago, and, and you would have never <laughs> thought this would be happening in this place 10 years ago. You'd have never, you'd have never thought. And you'd have never thought that we'd have got here like we have and had the influence that we've had. I'm sitting here looking at all of you guys who have, who have just been changed by the presence of God. And the, and the idea that the Scripture is true and it applies to you and you're going to do it and you've made those decisions and I've watched God do incredible things through, through so many people. We never would have been able to pick it out. And I, was, I was talking to somebody this week and I really don't want to point them out because I, I, I don't want to really embarrass them, but I was talking to them about they made a bad choice. They made bad decisions and, and, they, and, they're, and, they're, and they're trying to get rid of the shame that goes with that, and they're, they're actually trying to get that bad decision to go away. And I just told them that I just didn't think it was ever going to go away. They're like, why? What? You know, I've been trying to make it go away. What's well, not going to go away? You might limp a little bit. We talked about that just a few weeks ago, the, 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 the Jacob thing. He limped because he had wrestled with God. But that doesn't mean God can't use that situation for good. 
It's not that you're going to be able to forget. You know, when I, when I, I just I want to say this because the future is huge, and we need to really be in unity. I, I went to my pastor when I was 30 years old, 29, 30 years old, and I said, hey, I believe I'm called into ministry. And he says, well, I'd forget that. I said, really? Yeah. He said, you'll never be accepted because of my past sin. you never be accepted because of your past sin. That's a mindset that's in the church. Now, I don't want y'all wandering around wondering what my past sin was. It wasn't any worse than yours. But he said, I'd never do it. Come on. It never happened. And then I, so I, I joined, I, my, my stupidity, I joined the Navy to get the GI Bill so I could go to seminary. Because in my mind's eye, I don't know any other way. The church has done said, I'm not going to be it. But God's already said, I even said, what if God's called you? He said, it doesn't matter. They're never going to accept you. That's what was said. Now, I could have taken that. But I didn't. I just, and I didn't know what to do. So I joined the military to get the GI Bill because I didn't want to go in debt. I just didn't thank God. I knew the Word. I had read the Word. I devoured the Word. I didn't want to go in debt to get a degree in seminary. I just thought, now that... God says, I'll be a slave to that. Why would God put me in slavery? I can learn the word, and I can go while I'm on a ship. And so I joined the Navy, and then I got, then I got stationed in Charleston. Then I started going to this church called Seacoast. And then I got out of the Navy in Charleston. And then I got a job, and I was a salesman because that's what I do. That's all I know how to do. And I worked for Trader Publishing Company. And I sold Auto Trader. You ever seen it? Ads in the Auto Trader, the Yacht Trader, the old car trader, the Ford Trader. That's the easiest sale I ever made. You go into a car dealership, they got more money than they know what to do with. And they're just looking for places to spend it on advertising. I was like, if I'd have been a pretty girl, that'd have been the easiest job in the world. But And so I get, I'm successful, and they're going to move me to Columbia to open a distribution center. They want me to take this position and open this. And my, and my pastor found out. And he says, listen, I don't want you to go. I want you to stay and come on staff. And I said, okay. So I stayed, and I went on staff at a church. That was in 1993. It was 1990 when I was told I'd never be accepted. 1989. Yeah, 89. In my 93, I'm in ministry. I joined the Navy. <laughs> Who would have thought that would have got me in ministry four years later? That doesn't seem like the pathway, does it? 
And so in 1998, I started a church at Columbia. It grew to about 300, about 250, 300. And then we had a pastor come in the door that had just quit another church down the road. And so we decided that we were going to convert both of those to, to off-site campuses of, of Seacoast. And so my church started the other church in Irmo. Now there's two Seacoasts in Columbia running anywhere from 800 to 2,000 people on a Sunday morning. And then in 2009, I moved, I moved back to the main campus, and then I moved to Northwood Assembly, which started Seacoast and started Eastside. And then I came up here, and then God's doing the work that he's doing here. And I could drive from here to Charleston and see the hand of God using a person who the church said was not qualified or wouldn't be accepted accomplishing incredible things on behalf of the name of the Lord. Yeah. The same thing happened to David. He says, Lord, I'm in this field. I'm, in, I'm here, I'm there. But you know, the truth of the matter is, when I'm gone and when you're gone, there's another generation that has to carry on the ministry of the gospel. And so, and so what David understood was that it wasn't about him. And I want you to understand that it's not about me here. It's not about you here. It's how well we do our assignment while we're here because we have no idea how God is going to work this thing out. We have no idea. I mean, we're clueless. You would have never thought and there's no testimony in Scripture. David said, David said, I can't believe it. You shocked me in a field. You made me king, and then you did what you did. Oh, my goodness. Do you think David had ambition? Do you think he had just drive that caused it? It was, it was the drive and the skill of David that caused it. No. Was it my drive and my skill? No. It was the grace of God and the power of God and the call of God on a life. That's what I love about what Stephen Furtick said to his critics when they said he wasn't qualified to preach. He says, they're right. I'm not qualified. I'm called. I'm called. Yeah, clap. Come on. The same is true here. What we've got to understand is what we're experiencing in this, in this move into this building, it ain't about us, even though we've got to be responsible and unified and, and make happen what God's trying to do. Here is depending on us to do our part so that in the future when we're gone and there's somebody else standing in this pulpit, that they're doing something that's much greater than we ever could because we laid the same kind of foundation that David laid for Solomon. He did the things God called him to. He didn't do what was on his heart. He obeyed in dependence of what God was, was moving him into. And he was quick to say to the Lord, okay. All right, I, I, I can do that. 
So when God asks us to expand our tents, what does that mean for us? It means that we, we've gotten vision through prayer, and we've got a limited vision. You know, everybody asks sometimes, you know, what's going on? Uh, well, you know, we, we've got a million-dollar facility in the back that we thought was going to cost 500 that's, that's, <laughs> that's one thing that's going on. And we're trying to get our septic tank solved so that we can get our architect to finish drawing that up. And um, that's going on. We're about to move our children's facilities over there, and that's going on. God's got us a plan to, to redo this in a, in a way that we can uh, pay for it. That's going on. Well, what is it going to happen? <laughs> Soon. Soon. Well, that makes me uncomfortable. Well, me too. But it ain't about us. It's about God. And it's about His timing. And it's about us not getting out in front. And it's about Him bringing provision. You know what's neat about that, that whole thing being costing a little more than what we thought, which is not really that, that drastic in the construction world? It's God paid for it all. Is paying for it. It's in process of paying for it all. So He's going to do that. He's going to take care of that. And He's going to take care of everybody involved. It's going to happen. And so we've got our vision, but that vision is ongoing. You know, God, I guarantee you, I'm still thinking small. I'm pretty positive that I'm still thinking small. You know, last, last month I, I get a, a call from a friend of mine, and they said, they said, hey, said, uh, you still got that college meeting out of your place over there? And I said, yeah. He, he says, so what do they do? I said, well, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a theological college. You know, they, they, they teach the Bible, how to think about God. And he said, well, he says, you reckon if I write you a big enough check, you'll call me doctor? I said, you write a big enough check, I'll call you anything you want. <laughs> so I didn't have any idea whether that check was going to be $100 or whatever. We got a check in December for $20,000. Just for somebody that don't even go to church here because they saw a video of what we were doing. I'm believing God. He can bring it in all kinds of ways. We've got to be responsible for what he's called us to, right? And, and do it in the timing. That he, and, he's, and it's an ongoing thing. We're not going to know the end result right off the bat. Would you agree with me, Chris? You would agree with me, right? We don't know the end solution. It is an ongoing process. We, we'll figure it out as we go. And we don't have solutions for everything, right, Doug? It's just not there. But they're going to come. And God's going to bring provision. So we've got this ongoing vision, and we're praying continually about that. But 
We also have to battle the enemy with the word. We, you know, the enemy wants to throw doubt. He wants to throw division. He wants to come up with every reason why you can't. Don't tell me why you can't. Figure out a way how you can. Come on now. I mean, there's so many people that tell you why. Well, we can't do that. I mean, it's the first thing to come out of the mouth. We can't do that. What do you mean we can't do that? Heck yeah, we can. Might look impossible to you, but with God, there's nothing that's impossible. Come on. What do you mean we can't? God can't or what? What's the deal? That's ridiculous. We can do it. It's just a matter of when can we do it. And we've got to constantly battle the enemy. This is what's coming at us, and this is what we say. We, we set boundaries, and, and the boundaries that we've got to set is in this process we have to guard our core values. We've got to guard who we are, the very nature of our being. We've got to guard those core values and say this is who we're going to be. No matter how we grow, no matter what happens, this is who we're going to be. And then... We got to expect God to do His part. We expect great grace. We expect His blessing, just like David got blessing, just like Solomon got blessing. But in the midst of that, what we have to understand is, is that God's what God wants us to do is He wants us as the church, because the church was designed to commission by God to model the kingdom of God. We were commissioned to model the kingdom of God. And so, and so what we've got to do is make sure that that's what we're doing. We're expecting God's blessing, but we've also got to practice generosity. And we're going to talk a little bit about generosity in the weeks ahead, but it is a word that our culture really needs to hear, this generous word. Do you know you serve an incredibly generous God? God is a generous God. And he requires the church to be generous. And, and, that, and there's a ton. I mean, when I did scriptures, I mean, I had, to, I, had to, I had to tell the PowerPoint person in the back or whatever we used, plan, whatever we used back there in the back. PowerPoint, I think, was 1997. <laughs> there's some other kind of thing where you pro presenters, what we're using. There it is right there. What we're using today. I had to kind of back her off the cliff because I had so many scriptures this morning that pertain to our generous God. And God creates the church to, to model that, that kingdom. And so, and so as we look at the life of, of David, we see that he did his part, and we're going to read that in just a minute. But you also have to understand that Solomon did his part. When David was dying, he, he told Solomon, he said, Solomon, all right, Bo, here's what happened in my life. Here's who you can trust. Here are your enemies. God wouldn't let me kill them. But he says it's okay for you too. God, I wish the Lord would say that to me sometime. <laughs> I love scripture like that. Come on, y'all feel the same way. Oh, Lord, just let me kill them. That, <laughs> that person driving with both hands in the left lane at 45 miles an hour in a 70 mile an hour zone. Lord, can I just shoot them? They need to die. Oh, y'all don't think that. Okay. That's not grace. Michael's doing this right here. I'm being funny, I think. But Solomon understands that his daddy says, 
Now, the Lord had me do all this and protect you and, and push your enemies away from you and get everything set up so that you wouldn't be disturbed while you built the temple. And so David's whole mission was to push the forces that were against God away from Solomon so Solomon could do something that David never could do. Somebody got to say hallelujah to that. Come on, in the spiritual realm, in this city, on this piece of ground, wouldn't you like to be a church who pushed hell so far away from this place that the kingdom of heaven in the next generation came down like it never could because we were responsible for doing what we were called to do? Oh, my goodness. Good gracious. And so, and so David... I mean, Solomon starts building the temple, and he, he does all this stuff, and, and then the queen of Sheba gets, gets word of it, which is exactly what evangelism is supposed to be like. See, we don't need to beat people over the head. We need to get a reputation that the kingdom of heaven is coming down in that place, and I want to go see what it looks like. Yeah. And that's what the queen of Sheba did. She comes in, she checks out, says, I want to see what Solomon's got going on. Well, what'd she find? She found worship. She found this thanksgiving and recognition of all that God had done. And they were just amazed at the goodness of God, understanding his goodness and power. And there was an atmosphere of worship that didn't exist where she was from. There was an attitude toward God that didn't exist where she was from. Oh, I want to be a place that has an attitude of God, toward God that is, that, is, that is unique and rare. Then she saw wisdom. You know, when Solomon, it's the only place that God's a genie in Scripture. You know, he's the, the genie. Ask for what you want. Right? You could have asked for anything, but you asked for wisdom. You know the scripture? He asked for wisdom, and he got everything else. But he asked for wisdom because he understood that he had a need and a dependency for God. And he wanted to wait on the Lord. And when, and when the queen of Sheba shows up, she sees an incredible dependency upon God by Solomon. He didn't do anything without the Lord. But then he saw, then she saw the works of and the excellence, everything was done beautifully and with class and elegance. And she'd never seen anything that splendorous. The lifestyle of worship and the dependency on God, on God was done with excellence. And there was an expression of a life of generosity by Solomon toward God and toward people. And Sheba saw that. She was like, wow, I've never seen anything like this. This generosity toward God and toward people. Now, really interesting part, let, let, me, just, let me just skip over to it because I don't have much time. If you want to look at David, you can look at second, I got to read it. We're going to read it. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 through 16. Let me read this part. This is where David, is about to hear from Nathan. Nathan's hearing from the Lord. 
God says, now then tell my servant David. <laughs> this is 2 Samuel 7, 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I, look, I, look you, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. God says this. God says this. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people would not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod welded by human beings, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him. You can learn a lot about God right here, folks. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever and ever. And so David rejoices in this in this being taken care of by God and, and, his, and his offspring being the thing that God uses in the future. Don't you, want the, don't you want the Lord's name to be great because of the atmosphere created at Eastside Church? Don't you want the next generation to get a reputation that is unbelievable because this generation laid the foundation for them to be successful in carrying out the mission of God. And when Solomon, it says in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 13, Solomon, Solomon gets this vision from God and understands that he was the one that, that God assigned and David has communicated this to him and, and, and the time has come. Look at, look at, look at what it took. In verse 1 Kings 5.13, says the king, then uh, King Solomon raised up a labor force out of Israel. The labor force was 30,000 men. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens. That was people toting stuff. And 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. Besides 3,300 from the chief, who, who were the foremen. They were the foremen. They supervised the people who labored in the work. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones, huge stones, and lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Haram's builders, and the, and the uh, Gebulites, quarried them, and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. The reason I point this out is it's because 
It takes a lot. If you're going to do something a lot bigger than yourself, it takes, it takes a lot of people. It takes unity. It takes, it takes this combined force trying to do the same thing. It takes this combined force trying to do the same thing. And that's what we want to create. That's what we believe God's called us to. And so what I'm asking you this morning is that you would agree to be part of what God's going to do with r right now, our mission, our call, not with us in mind only, but doing the thing that God's called us to so that the next generation can do something amazing. You know, no, no matter how, how long, if the Lord leaves me here longer than this afternoon, I would imagine that I will be 10 years-ish and then gone. And then there's got to be this thing that God has planted that's going to take care of the east side of Charlotte in a way that not many people are willing to do. Now these core values are intact, healthy. There's room to grow. There's a generation ready to take the reins. We're about to show a video. And uh, it's just a video of, 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 of what we're about to do. It's available online. So if you're, if you're watching online, if you're, if you're watching on our YouTube channel, uh, you, can, you can watch the video. You can click on that video, see the video. You can also go to the place where you can join us. You can partner with Eastside and go to the giving section. There's a place called Building. You can, you can donate to the Building Fund as far as that goes.